0: An important food, a healthy food, and a basic food that can be served in more than a hundred different ways. No magic and no miracles against the rules. Up and down the aisles, of shopper goes, and what you buy, nobody knows.
1: Hello and welcome to the Fat the Weight Loss Show. My name is Aaron and I am your host for today's episode. If this is your first time listening to this podcast, let me introduce myself. Firstly, I am from Australia, if you hadn't already guessed from the accent, and I run a ketogenic food blog called Fat for Weight Loss, found at fatforweightloss.com.au, and the aim of this podcast is to dig into the world of nutrition, fitness, and everything in between. I'm a nutritional therapist and an advanced sports exercise nutritional advisor. However, I'm not a doctor, so I cannot give you any medical advice. This also applies to any guests involved in this show. Please make sure you consult your doctor before making any changes to your diet or medication. You can find me on YouTube, Facebook, and Instagram at Fat for Weigh Loss for delicious keto recipes, meal plan videos, and drool-worthy food photography. So let's get right into it. So welcome to another episode of the Fat Weight Loss Show. I'm here with mum, Kathy Sventon, as as everyone uh, would commonly know you by, um, but I know you as mum. So how has your day been today,
0: mum?
2: Oh, well, my day's been pretty cruisy since I've um, entered into retirement. um, My days um, are very relaxed and my day started today with a walk down the Brisbane River, followed by coffee and breakfast. And, yeah, and now I'm here, so... That's
1: pretty nice. Yes. I Can I be retired yet? Is that uh, something that I can... No, do? <laughs>
2: not yet. You've got about another 30 or 40 years before oh. you, you, you have to pay your dues first.
1: <laughs> well, that's exactly what I'm doing today. <laughs> so, so um, you know, for, for those people who don't know you, uh, you were probably the... The main reason why I know so much about nutrition, and all of the all of the things that I know, definitely come from your knowledge. But outside of nutrition and outside of uh, you know knowing about all the different foods and all of these different things, you used to sing in a band, right?
2: That's right. Yes, yes. People that are closest to me would know that. But um, yes, that's right. I did sing in a band. It was a. It was during my midlife crisis where I decided to take to make all my dreams come true, all of that <laughs> unfinished business. Um, and I was the teenager in my roof, in my room, singing into a hairbrush. Um, to um, Countdown on TV, watching <laughs> Molly Meldrum and all the bands and had this um, dream about being a rock chick. So I decided to realise that dream and the opportunity came up, so I did. I, um, I sang with the band for a while.
1: Yep, I remember practising harmonies all yes. the time, driving to school back and forth. That's right, I drove and... you mad. <laughs>
2: <laughs> yep, learning how to harmonise.
1: Yeah, yep. I did learn how to harmonise in that. I, I learned how to do thirds and sixths, but um, yeah, in the process, it drove me mad. <laughs> <laughs> um, so, so for anyone who who doesn't know, um, you were uh, diagnosed with Hashimoto's, uh, and can you sort of tell us what happened? at that point and then what happened immediately after that and sort of your experience with that?
2: Yes. Okay. Well, I, um, I was going through menopause and a lot of the symptoms I was getting were just standard menopause symptoms like a bit of a foggy brain and, and um, a little bit of anxiety. And at the time I was, I, I'd been through a couple of very, very stressful, hectic years uh, your grandmother was, um, was dying and very unwell so I was trying to uh, help manage her health and um, my job had become a lot more stressful with a new boss with a lot of very high expectations and um, we moved house. Um, so I went through a couple of years of hell really but when you're busy you just keep adding more things in and it was a very busy, hectic life. I've probably always had a busy, hectic life because, like you, Aaron, I always find <laughs> new mountains to climb. <laughs> yep. um, and you probably get a bit of that from me. So, But this was particularly hard the last couple of years. So I decided to start getting my hormones tested and started investigating my health. And in that process, um, discovered that my thyroid-stimulating hormone had gone through the roof. And, of course, that means there is problems with the thyroid. And I partnered with another practitioner. And I say partner because I like to take responsibility for my own health, being a naturopath. um, So I partnered with someone who had had a lot more clinical experience so they could fill in some of the gaps, think of things that I might not think of because um, a large part of my career was working for a large vitamin company as a trainer. So um, while I had run a clinic, uh, my clinical experience um, on a day-to-day level probably wasn't as in-depth with this person. So we looked into it, we did some blood tests and discovered my thyroid antibodies had gone through the roof. And I have to admit, I was a bit shocked because when I I thought... I knew I'd been under a lot of stress but I thought I was also doing a lot of things to try and counter that. So it just goes to show that stress can undermine everything if the stress is severe enough. So um, the first thing I did when I found that out was resign from my job. (laughs) (laughs) That's a good one. It's not something that everyone can do, but I was in a fortunate position where I'd been left a little bit of money from my mother, who had then passed away very sadly, Um, But it gave me an opportunity to invest some of that money and provide a bit of a part-time income. And, of course, uh, my husband was very supportive financially. We joined forces and um, it allowed me to retire, which was one of the best things for me, to, to take all that crazy, hectic schedule out of my life, all the shoulds. I think it's a very common thing, um, adrenal fatigue with Hashimoto's and people who suffer adrenal fatigue tend to have a lot of shoulds in their life. Mm. I should go to the gym. I should do this. I mm. should, I should, should. Put a lot of pressure on yourself. So that was probably one of the biggest things I did um, that were the most beneficial to my now recovery.
1: Mm. Yeah, so, so this whole podcast is talking about Hashimoto's and the road to recovery with that in mind and so you were you were saying that there's usually a three-legged stool um, type scenario when it comes to Hashimoto's and when it comes to finding out as you said some of the things that you know, you should do this, you should do that. Uh, Is that part of the three-legged stool um, scenario or is that outside of that?
2: No, it is. Um, In my research, because I then wanted to become an expert on Hashimoto's and immerse myself in research and reading and so on um, to make sure I recovered, I discovered um, a guy called Dr. Alessio Fasano, who's an Italian medical doctor and researcher, He's a paediatric gastroenterologist and he does a lot of research into, into gut health. And his research is held in very high esteem by most health practitioners around the world that, that treat and deal with autoimmunity. So he discovered this. He said there was this three-legged stool of autoimmunity. Three things had to be present for autoimmunity to, um, to exist. Number one is genetic predisposition. So there's nothing much we can do about our genetic predispositions. Everyone is genetically predisposed to some some sort of disease. However, number two is there has to be a trigger. That is within our control and influence. So things like stress, food intolerances, nutritional deficiencies. And then number three was intestinal permeability, also known as leaky gut. So those three things are present. And um, intestinal permeability, of course... Is generally caused by the triggers, so the trigger is the area that we have the most influence over. So, um, so I found that very interesting, and um, a lot of the uh, people's work that I was following, like the thyroid pharmacist, Dr. Isabel Wentz, very very knowledgeable. She specialises in thyroid. Um, another guy called Tom O'Brien, he specialises in autoimmunity. They all talk about this three-legged stool, and so um, from there, it gives you. Then, then basically, it takes time and investigation to find out what is your triggers.
1: Mm. And so, uh, as you were saying before, you know those triggers are something that you can influence. And for a lot of people, being diagnosed with a disease of some sort, they feel quite helpless because their doctor gives them medication or you know, it gives them something to essentially band-aid the the problem. And so yeah. for you, what what were some of the triggers for you and and how did you diagnose those?
2: Okay. Well I knew stress was a problem because I knew that my life felt like it was reeling out of my control. There were so many things filling my life up, caring for my sick mother and then inevitably when she passed away, managing her estate Um, my job was incredibly stressful and I just had got to the stage where I just didn't want to turn up anymore. I was, I was really over it. It it was time for a change in my life. Um, you know, I was a single parent for many years. I studied a lot. Um, I did my degree while I was a single parent. I studied life coaching. I, I was always filling my life up with a lot of things. So, um, and I think I just really pushed myself over the edge. And then investigating it, my cortisol levels were really low. Cortisol is one of the um, things that helps buffer you from inflammation. You know, people go out and get a cortisone shot. Mm. That's what our, our natural cortisol does. It, it helps support inflammation in the body. And um, when you get low in cortisol, you're more prone to inflammation, more prone to autoimmunity, and I actually knew all of this. I studied this at uni. But, of course, applying it to yourself and is, is another thing. Practising what you preach sometimes um, isn't always as easy as you think. Hmm. Yeah. Um, and then you start you know, becoming more reactive to foods and things like that. So you're losing a lot of that buffer zone mm. when, you, when you essentially run your adrenals low and you lo- lose that, um, that cortisol that helps you.
1: And so so, uh, just wanted to touch on cortisol for a second. Mm. So cortisol, I believe, is highest in the morning. That's right. And and so a lot of people do exercise in the morning because it's preventing them from increased inflammation. Is that sort of how that works?
2: Well, cortisol is highest in the morning. And um, historically, the reason for that is to motivate us to get up. And to go out and be active, so you know our ancestors would go out and hunt for food. They'd get up and go and hunt for food. So if you if you are stressed, if you get up in the morning and you go and exercise, go for a jog or go to the gym, you're actually helping to modulate that cortisol response. Hmm. Because um, where it's most damaging is if it if you're constantly stressed and your cortisol levels are constantly being manufactured and pushed up. And then at the end of the day when they're supposed to be low so you can sleep, they they stay high if, mm. you're, if you're chronically stressed and then it starts interfering with your sleep. And then we know sleep, which I call vitamin S, is one of the most important <laughs> vitamins for our body. And if we don't sleep properly, then we start getting all sorts of problems. Yeah. So, yeah, so cortisol is something that can be high and then if you continue with being chronically stressed... Mm. Your adrenals will start hypo functioning and then right. they will start not being able to produce as much cortisol. You're actually starting to then deplete. So you get a hyperactivity in your adrenals and then you get a hypoactivity mm. and your cortisol levels start dropping. And then and then and and I used to explain this to people, when your adrenals are hyperactive, you feel like killing someone. <laughs> But when your adrenals are hypoactive, you feel like killing yourself. Right.
1: (laughs) Yeah, that's quite a good explanation. And for anyone else who's listening to this podcast right now, if you feel like either one of those, then you're either hypo or hyper in in the cortisol realms. And and I know that caffeine especially can uh, kick cortisol levels up, which in turn can uh, bump your blood glucose level up and pushes your insulin levels up as well, which is particularly terrible on a ketogenic diet.
2: That's exactly right. And, um, and, 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 and on top of that, you get people who are slow metabolizers of caffeine mm. and fast metabolizers. I'm actually a fast metabolizer, which is good mm. if you like coffee. If you're a slow metabolizer, you shouldn't be drinking coffee because it hangs around and it can damage. Mm. But yes, caffeine does increase cortisol levels, as does sugar, yep. as does stress. Yeah. So doing stress is like eating sugar hmm. because it raises cortisol. And what cortisol then does is prepares your body to, to try and protect you from the stress. So it raises your blood sugar levels because if you're stressed, ancient primal programming um, thinks, well, then you must need to either fight or flee. Hmm. So that fight or flight response, which um, then raises blood sugar levels to produce energy sending the glucose into the muscles so that you can run away from the big saber-toothed tiger, that sort of thing. But, of course, now, you know, we get stressed sitting in traffic. So, you know, if if you are stressed, going out and exercising is one of the best things you can do to help lower that cortisol, but most people aren't in a position to do that. We're pissed off at our boss or we're (laughs) sitting in traffic and we, you know, we can't do much about it. So, yeah, yeah. but anything that raises... um, Cortisol um, is raised by sugar stress... And, yeah, caffeines and other things. So you need to be wary there and not overdo any of those things. Mm.
1: And then so what are the some of the other triggers that can cause autoimmune issues like Hashimoto's?
2: Okay. Um, well, well, with with um, the stress, just elaborating a little bit more on that, stress um, not only will eventually lower your cortisol, but it also uh, makes your sympathetic nervous system dominant, which makes your autonomic ser- nervous system dominant. Um, Um, sort of hypo function Mm. and sympathetic nervous system ramp things up autonomic nervous system calms things down so they oppose each other but when you're stressed um your autonomic nervous system is um responsible for your gastrointestinal function so it's not a priority to digest lunch when you're running away from a saber-toothed tiger (laughs) so so basically you shut down your digestive system. So things like your hydrochloric acid in your stomach starts hypo-secreting. And that's responsible for mineral absorption. It's also responsible for sterilising everything to protect you from pathogens. So then you get things like helicobacter, SIBO, candida. And these are all things that contribute to autoimmunity. But other things include food. In fact, one of the most common root causes of Hashimoto's is food intolerances. Mm. And I always knew that I had intolerances. And you might remember as a child me, you know, going insane, trying to keep your kids away from the wheat cookies and, you know, drinking milk and (laughs) things like that because I knew you guys had the same intolerances uh, because you'd get sick if you ate those things. So I knew I had a problem with gluten and I've actually got the celiac gene um, I discovered when I did some genetic testing. Um, and cow's milk is a is a real problem for me. But I hadn't been incredibly strict. Mm. I didn't go to a restaurant and go, everything's got to be completely dairy and gluten-free. I'd, I'd make choices that I thought were gluten and dairy, but if I hit a bit, I didn't worry. And I'd still go out and have a pizza with some cow's cheese and think, oh, well, a little bit won't hurt. But a real game changer for me was um, finding out I had a, an intolerance to salicylates. Mm. And I don't... I'm still not sure whether the salicylate intolerance is a result of the long-term stress and the leaky gut um, and whether my my, my tolerance will um, improve as I heal my gut or whether it's always been there. Because mm. I remember as a child being given a lot of aspirin for toothaches, headaches, gut aches, you name it. Whinge too much, here's an aspirin. Right. So And aspirin, that's one of the causes... Well, aspirin is um, high in salicylates right. and it, it, And I remember actually looking through the cupboards when I was young for the, for the aspirin because I loved the flavour of it. It had this <laughs> sour taste. So it was almost like an addiction, <laughs> the yeah. ripe old age of four or five. <laughs> so I don't know whether that actually caused it, but I do know that people who take aspirin to prevent heart disease can end up with a salicylate intolerance. Wow. And um, ringing in the ears is, a real, is one of the symptoms of salicylate intolerance. And I used to get it occasionally. And, and then um, so I, I had an ALCAT food intolerance test, which is where it basically they test your blood cells, like your neutrophils, which are very involved in allergy response, um, with pure sources of food. And a lot of the ones that were coming up for me, like things like um, cloves and KN severe mm. intolerances, were uh, really high in salicylates. And I thought, oh, that's interesting. And I was drinking about four or five cups of chai tea a day, which are full of cloves. Mm. And I loved Indian food and I loved Thai food, chilli, high in... in so, um, so it's very interesting. So that was a game changer for me um, because I knew... That, that was causing me problems. And a really good way to confirm it is you take everything out of the diet with salicylates, then challenge yourself a couple of weeks later and then you have a more acute response. And I I definitely had that, so I knew that that was something that had to go. But that's one of the hardest things to be intolerant mm. to because it's in so many things.
1: Especially in ketogenic foods because coconut and yes, a lot of things contain salicylates. And so initially yep. when you first found out that you were... Um, you had Hashimoto's, you switched to the ketogenic diet. But what was the, you know, when you switched to the ketogenic diet and then t- what's the difference between that and what you're doing now? Because there was a lot of salicylates in a yeah. lot of the foods that are ketogenic friendly, right?
2: Yeah. I was following uh, a paleo diet yeah. at the time. And, of course, there's a lot of coconut and almond. Yeah. I, was, I was eating almond bread and coconut milk and using coconut fat to cook things and I was following a Mediterranean diet which I thought was good for me eating lots of olives and I was eating broccoli every night these are all and I didn't realize I was poisoning myself because Mm. these are all very high in salicylates Mm. so um so now what I'm doing I'm still aiming for a high fat low carb diet not strictly keto I'm a big advocate for keto, but. But now, because my food um, is so limited, a a few little things are sneaking back in, like a bit of rice, gluten-free bread, because that's low in salicylates. Because the only nut that's low in salicylate is cashews, and it's actually not particularly low in carbohydrates. Right, yeah. So... You know, it's 6'10, half a dozen the other, do I eat the rice gluten free bread or the yeah. cashew bread? And the cashew yeah. is expensive and time consuming to make. Or, will eat, bugger it? I'll just go and buy the gluten free yeah. rice bread. Yeah. So I try not to eat too much of it, but I'm eating the odd potato here and there as well because it's low in salicylates. So, right. yeah, so, um, so I'm aiming for that high fat, low carb. I eat a lot of fatty animal foods which all meats and um, eggs and bacon and everything, all low. Mm. Salicylate um, is highest mainly in things like spices and fruit and vegetables. So I've traded it out... It's a bit of a swap this for that. So instead of broccoli, I'm eating Brussels sprouts. Right. I can eat green beans. Yeah. I can eat cabbage. So I can still get my sulfurophane in my brassica vegetables. Mm. Um, but it's just... It's a matter of knowing... Um, what is high and trying to minimise your contact because every time you eat something that you are intolerant to, it will cause inflammation in your gut Mm. and that will then continue the cycle of autoimmunity. So it's all about healing the gut now. So you've got to identify the food intolerances and get rid of them as much as you can. I
1: guess you've got to try and find the thing that is the biggest evil because, you know, carbohydrates aren't necessarily the the worst thing for you, right? And yep. so if you've identified that salicylates are a problem, yep. then introducing carbohydrates back in with without sal- salicylates, yep. um, then that's ultimately the you know, what you're aiming for. And and Brussels sprouts, things that are high in um are the precursors to glutathione in your yep. in your body and
2: so yes, that's very true. If salicylates are a big cause of my leaky gut then having a few carbohydrates is definitely the lesser of two evils. Mm. And what I try and do to compensate for carbohydrates, so on the days that I might have a bit of potato in my rice bread, I make sure I go to the gym right. or I go for a walk. I yeah. make sure that, you know, because when you're physically active, you are more sensitive to carbohydrates. You're more yeah. sensitive to insulin. Yeah. So um, so I try and, you know, offset it. But I still eat like the low-carb Slendier, con- mm. congealed oh, yeah, products. Yeah. I yep. don't eat past normal pasta yeah. and things like that, and and most of my food is just meat and vegetables. So, you know, salicylate free vegetables. So, so I don't eat a lot of you know carbohydrate based meals. Mm. So, yeah, I'm still I'm still um, keeping. I think the carbohydrates down as yeah. much as I can. Yeah, yeah, oh, um, that's good. And yeah. so,
1: so are there any other triggers that are um, Associated with Hashimoto's,
2: yes. Nutritional deficiencies can be a problem. Um, see, when you when you've been stressed for a long time, then your thyroid starts coming in to try and rescue the adrenal glands. So, when your thi- your thyroid hormones are important for just about everything. So, when your thyroid starts under-functioning, then you start losing the ability to detox properly. Mm. Um, your gut motility slows down. Um, so then you get, you know, you get absorption problems and things like that. So um, you really um, you really have to um, almost, once you're at that stage, take a little bit of thyroid hormone, which I decided to do a low dose, mm to actually help catch up. You need T3 to actually heal your gut. Mm. So sometimes you need to have a little bit of that to actually get you back to where you need to be. Um, so then you can sort lower the dose and, and get off it eventually, hopefully. But, but you might end up with nutritional deficiencies because of stress or because of um, poor absorption. So things like vitamin D, making sure that you're getting out in the sun because I was constantly studying and working, so I was definitely not getting enough sun. And I was getting too much artificial blue light. You know, more and more mm-hmm. research now is coming out showing how blue light's really evil, um, that we, um, we need to be exposed to the full spectrum of light out in the sun. We need to get out in that morning sun to set our circadian rhythm. A couple of scientists just won the Nobel Peace Prize by working out that morning, the, the sun hitting the retina, especially in the morning, was necessary to set your circadian rhythm. Mm. So that's that's important for protecting you against all diseases, and you know wearing blue light blockers, and things like that, not staying up late at night like I was doing, with a laptop on my lap shining blue light right on my thyroid. <laughs> yeah. So um, getting out in the in the sun, you know, when it's when it's not dangerously hot, to get that infrared light on my thyroid. And I just had a thyroid scan and I was really, really impressed to see that my thyroid has escaped a lot of damage Mm. because your thyroid antibodies can be elevated for many years before your thyroid-stimulating hormone goes up. So I was really worried because I thought, oh, geez, this could have been happening for 10 years and my thyroid might be in really bad shape. But I think everything I was doing to help counter and getting out in the sun, especially over the last 12 months because I'm retired and I can... (laughs) um has probably really helped that but there are a lot of nutrients that you need to be careful of like selenium in australia our soils are low and um it protects the thyroid from damage when the thyroid makes thyroid hormones oxidative stress is created so selenium mops up all those free radicals so if you're low on selenium you're going to um, be more prone to uh, problems of the thyroid things like zinc, it's important for your immunity your gut integrity, for detoxing and um, you get low in that um, if you're not eating enough red meat if you're, if you're stressed, if you're eating too many carbs sugar, things like that and another one called inositol is a nutrient that actually is produced in the body it belongs to the B group of vitamins and myo-inositol actually helps um, stimulate thyroid hormone production. So I started supplementing that. Iodine is a huge problem in Australia. It's not in our soil. So unless you're eating a lot of seaweed or deep sea fish, you're mm. not getting iodine. So I've started eating a tin of sardines on a regular basis. Oh, yeah. <laughs> because <laughs> small fish have got less mercury in them. Yeah. and um, But, yeah, so I did a urine iodine test and discovered I was really really low mm. and it shocked me a bit because some of the supplements i was taking had iodine in it but i think what actually happened i think what um what happened was i was depleting the iodine probably wasn't getting enough but iodine regulates cortisol oh, and really? I, didn't, I didn't know that huh. so the more cortisol you're producing in stress the more iodine you're going to use up right so that's going to then be problematic for your thyroid because your thyroid can't make thyroid hormones effectively without iodine. Um, so so that that could have been one of my biggest issues. Hmm. So I'm now supplementing um, iodine, trying to get it in my diet by eating things like um, seaweed mm. and um, sardines yeah. and deep-sea cold-water fish um, and there's a supplement I'm taking that's a brown seaweed from a cleaner part of the Atlantic Ocean, which is oh, okay. a bit like kelp. Yeah. Um, and it's rich in iodine, so I'm taking that. But I'm also taking a little bit of Lugols here and there. Lugols. Lugols is a, an iodine solution you get from a compounding pharmacist. Yeah. And um, you just um, take a drop here and there to just bump up the levels of iodine. Right. So. Yeah, so I'm hoping that's going to make a big difference. Um, but um, you know, last test I had done, my thyroid antibodies were coming down into normal levels. My thyroid's in good shape. Um, my cortisol level's still low, but that takes a while to recover. Mm. And I'm taking a lot of adaptogens to help build my my um, adrenal glands up. Mm. But um, yes, when I next get my iodine tested, I'm hoping that it's come up and it's going to show improvement in the production of my thyroid hormones. So yes, yeah, so nutritional deficiencies um, can be occurring. Even though I was aware of what I was doing and I was eating well and I was taking supplements, they can still occur. Mm. So you need a system of being able to check that. And I've discovered this new thing called oligo scans. Right. Which is Russian technology, but it's being um, it's, it's starting to be... It's gaining a lot of traction in Australia with healthcare professionals, and I discovered it through some other healthcare professionals. And what it does is it takes, like, a digital biopsy of a part of your hand, hmm. scans it, and um, tells you where your minerals are at and where your heavy metals are at. So my heavy metals were all, all quite high, and a lot of my minerals were all quite low. So the first, the first step there is you've got to start then replacing the minerals that antagonise the heavy metals. So a lot of people might not realise that things like selenium and iodine are important for keeping mercury at bay. Huh. And silica helps antagonise aluminium. And, I, you know, it's hard to imagine where you get these heavy metals from, but they're ubiquitous. They're in our water, they're in our air. Hmm. And I was drinking soy cappuccinos and... Soy is nat- can be naturally high in aluminium. Right.
1: Another reason to avoid soy, I
2: guess. Exactly. <laughs> exactly. Yep. Unfortunately, it's low in salicylate, so that's a little bit of crept uh, back into my diet, yeah. <laughs> but not much. Um, things like zinc help keep cadmium and mercury at bay. Mm. Um, Magnesium is important for glutathione production, and you need glutathione to lift those toxins out of the cell and, and shunt them out, and glutathione does that. So you need things like magnesium and zinc um, and um, cysteine to help make your glutathione. And, um, yeah, so I found the oligo scan was really quite useful. And when I saw all those high heavy metals, the thought was, oh, the sulfation pathway is the one that helps detox a lot of heavy metals. And guess what? That pathway detoxes salicylates as well. Hmm. So if you've got a lot of salicylates in your diet, it puts pressure on that pathway and you might clog it up. Yeah, right. So the salicylates had to go. And um, so I'm hoping my next oligo scan will reveal minerals coming up and heavy metals going down.
1: And so the road to recovery sounds like it's been, uh, you you know, it's interesting that you say you you partnered with the the natural therapist that you were seeing. And that's a a really great concept because um, for some people who are, very into health and, and very into like that. A common thing is to self-diagnose and try and run with the self-diagnosis essentially. And so you going and actually seeing someone else to partner with um, is really awesome. And yeah, so you yeah. know the road to recovery. How how has the um, the tests come back so far? So you were, you sort of touched on a little bit before, but yeah. um, you've been able to rectify. Uh, you know, some of the things that were coming back as as really high in the tests?
2: Yes, yes. Well, my th- uh, thyroid antibodies, which was the priority getting that down because that essentially destroys your thyroid Mm. and over time it will just destroy your thyroid so that you have no option but to take thyroid hormones for the rest of your life and thyroid cancer can ensue as well Uh. Um, so they have all come down into normal levels and I think a lot of things probably contributed to that but I think the selenium especially I think I probably was low in selenium so taking higher therapeutic doses of selenium to really mop up those free radicals um, probably was quite instrumental in getting that down and and of course the scan on my thyroid seeing how it's still in really good shape um i think is testament to the fact that i've been doing things to help protect it with um i think getting out in the infrared sun especially in the morning between sort of six in the morning and nine in the morning's a really good time because the infrared light penetrates your skin into your organs and can actually heal and repair. Hmm. Um, so I've been trying to do that as well. Um, so there is still... I'm not completely there, but as far as the Hashimoto's is concerned, it it it's almost cured. Wow. Because the thyroid's fine. The autoantibodies aren't there anymore. Now I'm just dealing with adrenal fatigue. Yeah. So... But I'm on I'm on track. It's slowly slowly coming up. That's yeah. just something that's going to take time. And
1: I guess it's something that didn't happen overnight either. And exactly. so, vice versa, like for people who are trying to lose weight and try and drop weight as quickly as possible, it's not going to stay that way because it never got put on that quickly either. That's right. Um, yeah. And, and and something else you were saying um, about how cysteine helps with the heavy metal detoxification. Yep. I, I always find that N-acetylcysteine helps me if I'm in a uh, immune depleted state that N-acetylcysteine will definitely push me out of that quite quickly. And yep. if, for anyone who's listening to this podcast, you might be hearing that I've got a little bit of a croaky throat at the moment and I've been taking N-acetylcysteine like crazy. Uh, and it really, really, <clears throat> really, really helps for me.
2: Yes. <coughs> yep.
1: Um is that something that you have been taking as well? Yes,
2: yes. I get my cysteine in the form of anacetyl cysteine. It's it's great because it's a precursor to glutathione, yeah. which is important for your immune system. It's the body's probably most um, potent antioxidant. Um, it helps you get rid of heavy metals. It's um, and it's um, it's very it's very good for um, clearing up things like mucus and respiratory problems right. and and dealing with inflammation. Mm. So it's a fabulous product, and I've been I've been taking that, and I know I know it's been helping. I have what I'm been doing what I call the scatter scatter approach. I'm doing so many things. I don't know exactly what's working, <laughs> but I know it's working. So I'm just going to keep doing a lot of things, and eventually I'll start tapering off on some of the things yeah. that I'm doing and taking when I start seeing some. Um, some some improvements in, in certain areas but um, but yeah n acetylcysteine is a it's a great it's a great product. And there's some new research come out showing that it helps with addictions now. So there's another yeah, right. indication to add to uh, they did studies on alcohol and drug abuse and people who took N acetylcysteine were less likely to fall back into Really? You know, taking those drugs and things. So,
1: because well, in hospitals they actually use N-acetylcysteine to um, help people get over um, things like uh, paracetamol overdoses. They use yes. it because it's a very, very strong um, antioxidant. Yep. And and I, I distinctly remember um, there was a doctor who came around to my partner's place, Adele, and she was uh, getting a, a sick note for work or something, and he saw the N-acetylcysteine on the counter and he's like... What are you doing with that? We give that to patients who overdose on (laughs) painkillers.
2: There you go. That Uh. just shows how protective it is. So, Mm. you know, when people overdose on painkillers or paracetamol, they're wrecking their liver and your liver, your liver cells produce glutathione to protect. And another thing Mm. um, that works there is St. Mary's thistle, the herb. It helps um, stimulate glutathione glutathione production in the liver to help protect the liver against damage. Um, So, yeah. Interesting. Yeah, we live in such a toxic world. Taking something like that will just help reduce some of the impact. Mm. Yeah. And so,
1: so for I guess um, we'll probably get to some of the big tips towards the end of the podcast. But um, what are some of the tests that people can go and get to diagnose uh, with the help of a practitioner? Yeah. Um, that you know, if they feel like they may be having adrenal fatigue or there's just something not right, and they really want to get their thyroid checked. Um, What are some of the tests that people can go to their doctor and and do that with?
2: Okay, if you suspect you might have, say, a thyroid problem, which would be fatigue, gaining weight easily, maybe a foggy brain, you feel uh, the cold very easily, then go to your doctor and get some tests done. Your thyroid-stimulating hormone is normally the only thing a doctor will test. The unfortunate thing about that is there could be other things going on in the background and be doing so for many years before your thyroid-stimulating hormone will elevate. So if you go to an integrative medicine doctor or a naturopath, they will actually test other things like your free T3, your T4. T4 is a hormone that your thyroid uh, produces. Then T3 is the activated form, where a lot of that happens in the liver. Mm. So the problem might be you're not producing enough thyroid hormone, which might mean you might be low in iodine, tyrosine. Well, you might not be activating it, which means you might be low in things like zinc and selenium. Hmm. So you've got to pinpoint where the problem is. And when you're stressed, a lot of your um, thyroid hormone will be um, caused into something called reverse T3, which is inactive. So instead of having um, active T3, you might have a lot of reserve, reverse T3, which means it's not working. Mm. And that could be simply because you, you've been stressed for too long, and then you might you know, need to then look at the stress and the adrenals. For adrenal fatigue, um, it's a little bit trickier, but again, your doctor can test your cortisol levels, and they will get you to have that blood test done at 8 o'clock in the morning, which is when your cortisol is highest. So if it's low when they test you in the morning, you know you've got a problem with your cortisol. Mm. But there are again more more accurate tests that can be done where you test your cortisol throughout the day to see if it you know when it's high and when it's low and so it can be a bit more accurate. But a good starting measure would be yeah go and get your cortisol levels tested, and then um, if your adrenals are failing and you're a bit older like me, then it will affect your hormone production because during menopause, for example. Your ovaries no longer produce hormones and then your adrenal glands produce precursors which then get produced into hormones. Um, hormones.
1: Oh, that's all right. Oh. I can edit this out. Okay.
2: Yeah. <laughs> that must be my phone. Shit, it'll no, we'll stop right. in a minute. It's all right. Okay. <laughs> okay. So, um, yeah, so then... When your ovaries um, re, uh, pr- no longer produce hormones, your adrenal glands kick in and produce precursors, which in your fat tissue get turned into estrogen, progesterone mm. and so on. So if your adrenals are not functioning very well during time of menopause, you're actually going to get um, more pronounced menopause symptoms mm. because you know, your, backups, your backup system's failing on yeah. you. So the more stressful your life has been, the less likely your adrenals are to, you know, the more likely your adrenals are to be not functioning as well as they can.
1: Mm, interesting. Yeah. Well, so, so all of this stuff is, is uh, you know, really exciting. Um, but there are a few questions that I ask at the end of the podcast yeah. that um, I think people might be interested to know. And so what is your favorite... Um, How do I say this? Hashimoto's Healing Food.
2: (laughs) Oh, now that would probably be my cashew cookies.
1: Oh, yeah, I had some of those before. They're really good.
2: (laughs) I actually modified Aaron's peanut butter cookie recipe. And I like I like reworking Aaron's recipes because I think Aaron's recipes are fantastic and they're 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 great they're nice and simple, and I like reworking them into a salicylate free version. So I, instead of peanuts, I use cashews, yes. and instead of butter, I use melted sugar free chocolate. Ooh. So well, that adds the fat in there, and then um, an and an egg, and sometimes I might throw in some sunflower seeds if I run out of cashews, but. They're really yummy. Yeah,
1: they're awesome. Yeah,
2: that's probably <laughs> my favourite food. That's my that's my treat. But I also really enjoy my parsley pesto because I can't oh. eat basil. It's oh, high yeah. in mm. but but parsley's not. And I mix it with um, cashew cheese yep. and uh, cashews, Yeah. <laughs> of course. <laughs> I think I'm going to turn into a cashew.
1: Anyway. <laughs> so many cashews. <laughs> they're they're, re- they're relatively cheap. They're not as expensive as as uh, Brazil nuts or something like yes, that. Yes, that's true. That's
2: that, true. Yeah. 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 So, um, yeah. oh, that sounds delicious. Yes. And so,
1: in contrast to that, what is your least favorite?
2: Food. Oh, that would have to be sauerkraut.
1: Oh, oh really? Oh,
2: and you know what? Sauerkraut is so good for you, and I eat it because I know it's good for me, and it's mm. cabbage. Cabbage is low in It's a fermented food, and I'm trying to heal my gut. So, bone broth and sauerkraut need to feature prominently in my diet. Mm. So, I try and eat it with, like, on a burger or something where right. it's, if I add it onto a burger, then it tastes a lot better than if I'd just got it as a side and yeah. I have to eat it. So I th- I look at it as medicine and I eat it and I go, <laughs> pull a face and eat it and yep. just go, okay, I've had my medicine now. So. <laughs> yeah. But that's probably my least favorite food.
1: Right, yeah. yeah. No, that, that would make sense. Um, and so uh, in terms of exercise, what is your go-to exercise, something that you do most days? That...
2: Probably the exercise I do most days is Pilates. I've started, as I gotten older and with thyroid problems i've realized i don't recover as well Mm. so i was doing a lot of pump classes so i've cut right back on those and i've replaced them with pilates and i've decided that pilates is equally as hard but they're not as hard on the body
0: right okay yeah
2: and building up that core strength which is really important as you get older as well and but i like to do at least one step class a week to really get my my heart rate up yeah um and take it up nice and high um and then, yeah, so Pilates, and I, I try and fit a yoga class in. So oh, nice. I try and get to yeah. the gym about four times a week, and I try and do a wow, bit of you walking. Do so I'm, than I do. <laughs> <laughs> I'm retired, though. I've got more of a clear, cleared schedule, so it's easier for me to fit these things in.
1: Right, and um, yeah, as you were saying before, Pilates is uh, nowhere near less difficult because I've I've tried Pilates, and it's not as easy as it looks. No. Definitely quite it's hard. It's not a soft option. No. 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 <laughs> requires a lot of benefit. and And yoga too. Yoga is something that um, I've never been very good at and I think it's partly because I'm very inflexible and whatnot, but I've been going to yoga classes recently and I'm getting better. So. Good,
0: good. <laughs> yep, that's it.
1: Um, and so in contrast to your favorite exercise, what is something that you don't think is particularly helpful for thyroid issues in terms of
2: exercise? um oh look i find for me running to be very stressful i don't think i was built for running i Mm. think some people are more smaller petite lightweight people being taller and being you know uh, a larger structure i think um i don't particularly think running's good for me Mm. and it might put a bit too much stress on my body so i think that might be the one I would pick for being the least helpful.
1: Yeah, I think it's probably most people's nemesis to yes. <laughs> running.
2: Yes, <I> hate <laughs> especially it. I running hate it. long
1: distances as well. <laughs> um, Never and, liked it. And so, uh, oh yeah. Um, so, supplements yes. outside of prescription medication. What supplements are you taking, uh, and and for what causes?
2: Okay. Well, because I had high mercury. Uh, I'm done. Silent. Thank you. Someone's trying to ring me. <laughs> okay. It's all right. Because I had some high mercury there, I take chlorella whenever I eat seafood because chlorella binds mercury in the gut and escorts it out. I take um, zeolite, which is a um, a compound that also binds to heavy metals and helps clear them out. So I've got a little spray nanoparticle zeolite that I'm taking. Hmm magnesium features very prominently our family has a high biochemical need for magnesium (laughs) we were born with a very sensitive nervous system prone to anxiety and so on so take plenty of magnesium and um i've been starting to do quite a few saunas three or four saunas during the week and you sweat out a lot more electrolytes so i've noticed i need more magnesium since i've been doing that so i've been taking more um, I'm taking iodine in the Lugols and the seaweed. I take a seaweed supplement called Modiflan, which, um, is a nice clean form of seaweed in a capsule so you don't have to taste it. <laughs> you yeah. Just swallow
1: it. Pretty terrible tasting. Yeah. You don't like seaweed.
2: Yeah, exactly. I do like sushi though. Yeah. Um, N-acetylcysteine, of course, for all the reasons we talked about before. Detoxing, glutathione, inflammation. I take selenium to help keep those autoantibodies under control. Um, I'm taking adaptogen herbs, things like withania, rhodiola, romania, and I take some extra tyrosine to help support my adrenals, trying to get my cortisol levels up. Mm. I take extra zinc. Um, If I've been eating plenty of red meat, I generally don't need to take it, but uh, otherwise I will take um, some extra zinc Um, because that's important for healing your gut. I also take support for my digestion, hydrochloric acid supplement, because um, after all the years of stress, um, I feel I need to support that, and enzymes just to help break down my food, because when your proteins are poorly digested, you're more likely to become sensitive to them. Mm. And um, lucky last, I'm taking a liver bile support supplement, which um, just helps... Again. Are, they,
1: are they what's called bile salts?
2: Yeah, well, the, the product I'm taking different? is LM2. Oh, okay. It's an Orthoplex product. It's a practitioner, only, but it does help the composition of bile salts. Because if you have poor composition of bile salts, it can actually cause leaky gut. Hmm. So, you know, things like having taurine and, um, you know, some of the amino acids that help produce um, bile. So, bile is very important for gut health. It's also important for fat digestion yep. um, and detoxing. Yeah. So that's pretty much it. So I have yeah, I take a handful of supplements. Oh, fish oil. I take fish oil. And fish oil. Because fish oil is yep. good for everything. Yeah, fish oil actually helps improve your tolerance to salicylates as well. Oh, really? Yeah. Some research has shown that.
1: What What's your stance on fish oil versus krill oil?
2: Okay. Well, fish oil has got larger quantities of the omega-3 fats that we need for our cell membranes in our brain and our nervous system, EPA and DHA. Yep. Krill oil has lower doses, lower amounts. However, it's in a phospholipid base, which means it's more water-soluble. So if people have problems digesting fat, right. then krill oil will help get those into the system more easily because a phospholipid will just um, you know, um, dissolve in a water environment, right. whereas fish oil requires good Bile hmm. um, to break down the triglyceride form of fish oil. Yeah, I, I take so I take fish oil because I get higher doses of everything, and yep. I just have it with food. And I don't think I need the krill, but krill gives you some aztaxanthin, which is a antioxidant. Yeah. Um, so. I would take krill if I was um, having problems digesting the fish oil, but otherwise I would go for fish oil. Fish oil. There's a lot of evidence showing fish oil is good for you, mm.
1: and it's generally cheaper than krill oil as well. Yes, isn't it? Yeah. yeah, it is. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, Just
2: get a good quality one. Yes. Yeah. yeah.
1: Uh, and so, as you know, I was a musician for a long time. <laughs> um, and so, what what sort of music do you listen to? the uh, The classics that. Um, you always go back to, and then is there any music that you've recently been listening to that has been inspiring?
2: Okay. Well, my music taste is very eclectic, and there was this great band that I used to follow called Pigeon. (laughs) (laughs) Uh. (laughs) And I still play their music sometimes. (laughs) It's got some CDs. Um, But I, I found myself recently on Spotify and playing Carly Simon, which took me right back to when I was about 10 or 11 years of age, you know that song, You're So Vain? Yeah.
0: yeah. <laughs>
2: the one that she wrote that no one ever knew whether she wrote about Mick Jagger or, or Warren... Warren... Oh, I can't think of his surname. Anyway, she was married to both at different stages and... Oh, right. You know, they're both really vain. Yeah. Um, so I don't think anyone would find out who, which one it was she was talking about. And I was recently listening to Amy Winehouse oh, yeah, and yeah. really enjoying her music too. Yeah. So... Um, but I'm very excited about what, going to see a new movie coming out on Friday called A Star Is Born. I saw the original 30 years ago with Barbra Streisand and Chris Christopherson, and I'm hoping they've got the same soundtrack. So I'm going to relive that. Oh, cool. And with Lady Gaga and yeah. Bradley Cooper, and that's, yeah. uh, that's just going to be fantastic. I love any – and I'm going to go and see Bohemian Rhapsody because I was a big oh. Queen fan yeah, when yeah, I yeah. was your age.
0: Yep. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, Who so,
2: isn't a Queen fan? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> their stuff was great, yeah. so I'm really looking forward to that. But um, oh, you know, there's quite often there's music on the uh, the radio that I really enjoy, um, but I can never remember their names.
1: Yeah, it um, happens on the radio. I don't know
2: Ed Sheeran. Yeah. Um, oh, lots of different, lots of different stuff. Really eclectic. I wouldn't say there's any particular genre or particular artist that I, you know. Mm. Um, need to listen to all the time. I, I love variety, so I love flicking through Spotify and going, Oh yeah, I haven't heard anything from them for a for a while so I'll just yeah, and play that.
1: What were some of the songs that you played in the band that you were singing ah, to?
2: Well um it was more it was eighties, eighties yep. music. It was like an eighties rock band we were called Herding Cats. <laughs> That's because it was hard getting everyone to practice to rehearsal. <laughs> when it is like it not the musicians? <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> But um, I, I sang quite a few Blondie songs because my, I've got a fairly high voice, well, I used to before my thyroid issues, um, more a soprano type voice. So you know, wasn't I love it was a Now Blondie songs really suited my voice. Yeah. And we sang some of the Divinal songs yeah. and um, some of the old rocking sort of rhythm and blues songs as well. Fleetwood Mac, that's yeah. Of stuff. No, we didn't. Uh, we didn't do oh. Fleetwood Mac. Um, you know. Hold on, I'm coming, you know, um, uh, yeah. uh, The Commitments, yeah. um, Mustang Alley, yeah. a few of those sort of songs, you know, things that were fairly big around the 80s. So, yeah, yeah we had a lot of fun with that. We didn't actually elevate much past garage band status. <laughs> we did the odd party and we yeah. did a wedding at one stage, but, yeah, but it was fun. Yeah. I brought that rock chick dream into reality and I sang with the choir as well. So singing soul food for me. Mm. And I joined a songwriting group there for a while. Yeah. I think I tortured you all with my learning how to play the guitar <laughs> and writing songs. Yep. <laughs> so I had a bit of a songwriting phase, which was very cathartic um, when I was um, going through my midlife crisis.
1: Yeah. And, uh, and so music aside... Um, books are a big part of my life um, and I'm sure they're a big part of your life as well do you have any books that you um, would either gift to someone or something that you've been reading recently that has been really uh, helpful for you
2: yes Um, well of course if someone had a thyroid problem I'd definitely recommend um, Isabel Wentz, uh, the thyroid pharmacist, her books, fantastic very informative, very easy to follow um but I've become very interested in environmental medicine because I'm realising how much of a toxic world we live in and I'm starting to feel a responsibility now in helping educate people mm. live in such a toxic world. How can we, how can we um, offset some of the things, you know, things like having saunas to help sweat out toxins like phy- uh, phytates that we get in, um, in plastic bottles mm. and plastic and so on. Um, I've just bought myself a new book called Clinical Environmental Medicine by Walter Crinian. And he's, he's one of the guys that started Bastia University in America, which is a big naturopathic doctor university over there. And I did a series of webinars with him recently and found it fascinating. Now, did you know that brown rice has got arsenic in it? Oh, wow. You know? Yeah, exactly. All the areas where rice is grown, even organic rice... Has arsenic in it. So, okay, so make sure you keep your zinc levels up yeah. to help offset that if you like eating your rice or maybe just moderate the amount of rice you eat. Like on a keto diet, you shouldn't be eating rice anyway. Yeah, yeah. So, um, but yeah, things like that. I'm, I'm, I'm feeling that the need to go down the track of finding ways to um, help people deal with our toxic environment and educate them. So oh, wow. watch this space where my adrenals recover. Yeah, I'll be back in full s- force. Yeah, I'll be back. I'll be back <laughs> blogging, yeah. and I'll get you to help help kickstart me because you're the expert now in this area.
1: Watch out! We'll have another coach on on fat for weight loss. <laughs> <laughs> um, and so, the last question I usually ask is uh, sort of different for for people, but it generally lies in the space of the you know, the area that you've had the most experience. And so for you, um, you know, dealing with Hashimoto's and and sort of that journey has been quite informative. Um, And so I'm sure it will be for other people as well. So Mm. what are your top three tips for someone who is looking to not only diagnose a Hashimoto's issue, but also try and fix it in, um, in in an orderly manner as well? Because sometimes, you know, you can take medication and you think it's fixed, but in reality, there's a lot of underlying issues that can be causing the initial problem as well.
2: Absolutely. I think it's very important to get to the root cause Mm. because if you don't, as you say, you take medication that masks um, the symptoms, it doesn't get to the root cause. And so it might not actually stop the disease process, which may still continue and end up in a, you know, in a situation much worse. So... First thing I would do is check your iodine because iodine deficiency is rife in this world. There are parts of the world, including Australia, where iodine is just not there in the food. So, again, unless you're eating deep-sea, cold-water fish or or seaweed, that's really the only way you can get it because the sea has got iodine in it. Um, Number two, I think um, managing your stress. Regardless of what you do with your health, stress will undermine it and i'm a classic example of that here i was doing so many things for my health that i thought i was doing everything right but because i had such a busy stressful life especially a couple of years prior to my diagnosis with Hashimoto's, that just drained my adrenal glands and then it gets rid of that buffer zone that you have that helps protect you um and number three would be food intolerances i believe um you know one man's food is another man's poison Mm. and we all come from different parts of the world and have different traditional diets, so you know like people people um, uh, from northern Europe were probably not um, munching on guacamole and tomatoes and broccoli um, for most of their most of their lives and so their genetics might not uh, allow them uh, to have the ability to digest some of those foods so getting in touch with whatever your your traditional diet was. Where did you come from? If you're Japanese or Asian, then you should be eating that diet. Mm. If you if you came from, you know, Italy, um, although I think the pasta and the uh, uh, the pizza was more recent addition to their <laughs> yeah. diet. I don't think that's what they've always traditionally eaten. But um, but food, making finding out what foods agree with you and what foods do not agree with you, because that can undermine you, and especially if you're a parent because i know as when you were children um if if you didn't keep the wheat and the dairy out of your diet you were always getting sick ear infections and Mm. so on so it can be a nightmare um you think you're doing the right thing you're eating all the right foods but the food intolerances are actually reducing and undermining your immune system so Mm. So, yeah, check iodine, keep your stress under control, and check for food intolerances. And I think they're three core things that address root causes of a lot of problems, especially when it comes to your thyroid.
1: Mm. Yeah, and autoimmunity in general. Exactly, exactly. And I guess, um, as you were saying before, like... Food can either be the greatest form of medicine or the slowest form of poison. Exactly, that's <laughs> and, exactly uh, right. And and so that's different for everyone. Um, and and obviously, ancestral, you know, genetics play a huge part in that. So, yep. trying to and as you as you go through different types of foods and different uh, knowledge spaces, I guess you'll learn more about food. So don't expect to know everything all at once. Um, you definitely learn along the way. Um, so. Thanks, man, for being on the podcast. I <laughs> I really appreciate it. So, I think this this podcast probably has been the most informative for me because I I have four or five pages of notes here, <laughs> um, all of the stuff that uh, I didn't know that I probably should. Um, and it's yeah, it's really awesome to have you on the podcast and and introduce you to to the the community of uh, ketogenic people out there as well because it's not always all about. Um, the ketogenic diet as such it's always about health so yes. everyone's trying to fix their health and however they go through that you know whether it's becoming a cashew or not <laughs>
0: <is> <laughs> exactly <another thing. laughs>
2: exactly well thank you Aaron I find uh, it's, a, it's an honour to be on your podcast I really appreciate it I have to say how incredibly proud I am as a mum of my son with his success and what he's doing and the fact that he was courageous enough to go out there um, and uh, follow his passions and has made such a success of it so I am so incredibly proud of you and I'm very uh, feel very fortunate to have been able to come on the podcast and and impart a bit of knowledge and information uh, for people out there who might be um, experiencing problems with thyroid because it's a very very common problem and um, hypothyroidism is a huge problem Mm. So hopefully um, somebody out there has gained some information that might just help them on their health journey Mm. along the way.
1: And speaking of which, where can people get in contact with you uh, regarding Hashimoto's and and health and recovery and things like that? Okay.
2: Well, I have a Facebook page called Mind Health Matters, which I um, post things on to actually um, educate people about health generally. But they can message me through that yep. or may, maybe message me on facebook under kathy Svensson. so yeah
1: Yep, cool yep. No send worries. me a
2: message i'm happy to answer any questions for people yeah i can help them in any way
1: the the, the wisdom of of hashimoto's recovery yes exactly <laughs> Come <to> <laughs> <mum>. <laughs> or yep. I, I think it's probably time for some more cookies so so <laughs> yes. if everyone is listening you miss out <laughs> and um and i'll I, i'm sure we'll see you all next week
2: Okay. Thanks, Aaron.
1: Thank you so much for listening. If you loved this podcast, make sure you hit subscribe to be notified next week when the podcast arrives. If you could do one small act of kindness for today, I would greatly appreciate a review from you. It's really easy and it allows me to keep making podcasts just like this one every week just for you. Head on over to fatforweightloss.com.au forward slash podcasts for the latest updates and all the show notes. Until next week.